Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Today, we'd like to welcome, for the very first time, Michael Aroni, CFA of State Street Global Advisors, one of the largest ETF providers in the country. And they established in 1993 the ETF on the S&P 500, the SPY, which is the largest traded security in the country. Mike, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Charlie, it's uh, good to be here. I'm excited uh, to talk with you today. Okay, so Mike, uh, you're the chief investment strategist since 2014, so that means when the market goes the wrong way, it's your fault, right? (laughs) Yeah, I look into my crystal ball, and uh, I'm able to make uh, these forecasts, and uh, if anything bad happens, it's definitely on my shoulders. Yeah, and uh, previous to that, uh, again, you've been with them for 23 years. Previous to that, you were portfolio manager in several different areas. You write their newsletter for SSGA Uncommon Sense, and you're often the face of SSGA to the media in various outlets, and we're grateful for your experience there. So let's start here with a brief background of yours. Charlie, you hit on most of the major points. Uh, I was Boston born and raised. I went to Bentley College. It's now a university. I earned my chartered financial analyst designation. Uh, I've been uh, part of the investment industry for a little more than 25 years. Most of that was State Street Global Advisors. I've had the opportunity to manage money as a portfolio manager in the equity side of things. I've had the great privilege of working with institutional clients, some of which sit right there in your backyard, like um, the California State uh, Teachers Retirement System, CalSTRS, and even CalPERS, for example, and what we think of as our intermediary clients. So folks like yourself, Charlie, financial advisors uh, who are working with all different types of clients to help them reach, reach their goals. And the last thing that we didn't chat about is I do have a little bit of a, a global experience in that I lived in London for a time while working with State Street from 2008 to 2011. So not only have I had the great privilege of working with clients in the U.S., but also outside the U.S. Hey, sometime, uh, Michael, uh, maybe we could have you back and you give us your take on Brexit here. <laughs> yeah, I would love to do that. Okay. So uh, give us a very brief description of State Street Global Advisors, SSGA. How many offices, how many employees, assets under management, that that kind of thing? Sure. State Street Global Advisors has been in the asset management arena for more than four decades, started back in the late 1970s. It has more than $3 trillion in assets under management. That makes it, Charlie, the third largest asset manager in the world. And we've been a pioneer in indexing, So matching a benchmark, providing a low-cost index solution for both institutional clients and for end investors as well. We've been a pioneer, as we've been chatting about in the exchange-traded fund arena, where we 
were the world's creator of the first ETF back in 1993, and that spawned an industry now that's uh, about four trillion globally. And we're also a pioneer in the in the ESG arena in terms of the environmental, social, and governance. Uh, components that make up so much of investor interest these days. Uh, we've been on the forefront in a number of ways uh, of that as well. Ultimately, at the end of all these things, Charlie, is is a retiree, a pension uh, beneficiary, uh, a 401k participant, or an individual client who has unique goals and objectives. And we're simply trying to develop solutions that help th- those folks meet those goals and objectives. Okay, Mike, thank you very much for that uh, brief statement about SSGA. Uh, Before we get started, let's turn for just a minute to uh, the newsletter you write, Insights. Is that a newsletter or a blog here? So I write um, an article each month called Uncommon Sense. We put it under this category of insights. And it gets delivered in a few different ways, in a blog, uh, gets delivered out in a, in a marketing campaign. It, you can even find it on LinkedIn, uh, for example, with the, uh, I have a subscription series, no cost to anybody, called the Un- Unconventional Investment Strategist. You can even find it there. So I write it each month, uh, and I try to take something that's quite relevant in the markets today and just take a very different perspective on it. Um, there's lots of information out there these days, and in order for get, to get f- folks to read it, you've got to have a little something different to say. Okay, and uh, y- y- your, your last one, which was the first one I've seen here, you give us three surprises. So ju- just briefly, before we get started, uh, they are definitely surprises to me. I hope they're accurate because I sent it out to everybody I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so why don't you just briefly describe for us your three surprises. And, by the way, before you start, uh, the, the one reason that I was comfortable and confident in uh, sending it out is you say that uh, you have been accurate in 10 of 12 of your surprises. Now, these are surprises for the year, okay, for the year 2020. You've been right 10 out of 12 uh, of the last ones you have done here. So tell us about these three surprises you're recommending or you're discussing, uh, suggesting for 2020. So each January, I forecast three surprises. And, Charlie, I often describe myself as the reluctant investment strategist. I noticed that. It comes a little bit with the territory (laughs) to forecast these things, even though I often describe that uh, forecasting them is a little bit of a a fool's errand. So we kind of do it a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But interestingly enough, since I've been doing this, and I started in January 2016, as we've been discussing, interestingly, 10 of 12 of them have been mostly right. So this year for 2020, the three surprises are... um, The first one was I'm expecting a market melt-up or a euphoric period in the market sometime in 2020. And what I mean by that is that many folks have felt like this long bull market, almost 11 years, has lacked that euphoria. There's been a lot of skepticism. Some people describe it as that unloved bull market or the most unloved bull market in history. So I'm expecting investors to finally throw in the towel, buy stocks aggressively, and see much better returns than many folks are forecasting to start the year. And you see that as a capitulation so that it's head straight down after that? 
I don't know about straight down, Charlie, but oftentimes when you see that euphoric moment, it is a sign of a top. It's, it's a sign that things have, uh, have progressed. Now, the old joke was uh, the patriarch of the Kennedy family, and you know I'm from Boston, so yeah. Joe Kennedy had used to joke that he knew that it was the top of the market when he was getting tips from the shoeshine boy. Right, right. Now, in today's day and age, I equate it more to me getting tips from the Uber driver. So right. know, for example, <laughs> if I'm in the Uber driver and he's telling me how much money he's making in the market, I, I would think of that as potentially uh, a, t- a sign of a top. Okay. So what was number two? The number two was that I expect healthcare sector to outperform the S&P 500 this year. And so what's interesting here is last year, healthcare underperformed the market by about 11%. Uh, as it relates to exchange-traded funds, we saw outflows, meaning investors withdrew about $4.7 billion from healthcare sector ETFs in the last 12 months. As a result, it's made it a very compelling uh, value opportunity. It's the second cheapest of the 11 economic sectors. And what's interesting is analysts have been increasing their earnings expectations, their revenue expectations due to the many tailwinds we see for healthcare, aging demographic, the continued search to end awful things like cancer, Alzheimer's, heart disease, and with longer lifespans, the amount of research going in uh, in terms of uh, the healthcare industry to prolong life and preventative care. So we think this poses an interesting opportunity. The overhang, Charlie, is the political environment. Yeah. So folks are concerned. What's going to happen with drug prices? What's going to happen with drug regulation? What's, are we going to have uh, you know, Medicare for all? So that has been the headwind for healthcare. I think that relieves itself this year, and we actually see healthcare stocks beat the market. Okay, very interesting. And number three? is about the U.S. dollar. And so what's interesting here is most investor surveys, most investors that I see were expecting the dollar to fall. And who could blame them? Uh, You have rising deficits, both trade and budget deficits are rising. You have the Fed cutting rates and growing its balance sheet. Very easy monetary policy, low rates. And you have the Trump administration talking down the dollar. So there's a real belief that as other economies reaccelerate, they start to do better after these trade agreements have been reached, that the dollar will weaken some. Now, I don't think that's true. Uh, The surprise for me is I think the dollar will stay stronger than many are anticipating. And the reason I say that is because even though our interest rates are low here in the U.S., they're much higher than places like Germany and Japan where they're still negative. Yeah. And in places like the U.K. uh, and Australia where they're still quite low. And then if you look at economic growth rates, Charlie, even though the U.S. economy is growing um, modestly at around 2% or so, the euro area, the UK, uh, Japan are growing much more slowly. So I think there will be, continue to be high demand for U.S. dollars in 2020, and I think it will be stronger than many are anticipating. Well, we appreciate you being brave enough to say those things. We have to congratulate <laughs> you for getting beyond the trepidation of making those kind of forecasts. And maybe we can have you back uh, next time, uh, this time next year, if not sooner, and tell uh, and, and, and let's talk about how things went. So let's start... Uh, with the macroeconomic level here, let's ask this here, Mike. What do you wish that more investors and advisors better understood about the financial markets? 
Well, Charlie, I think a lot of investors have a pretty good handle on stocks, on equities. They kind of get the mechanics. They get that earnings and cash flows and dividends and an investor's willingness to pay a certain price for those uh, elements is ultimately what drives stocks. And I think a lot of folks have a good handle. What I wish they understood a bit better was the fixed income markets. I think the fixed income markets are a little less intuitive. Uh, they're a little bit more opaque, but they play a, a crucial role in diversified portfolios in terms of uh, having a nice hedge or diversifying risk against those stocks. They provide nice diversification, uh, capital preservation when times are tough, uh, and income, which is important to retirees, particularly in a low-rate environment. So I wish that um, investors and advisors had a little bit greater understanding or appreciation for the nuances of the fixed income markets. You know what's interesting, and I, I have been singing uh, th- that very tune for some time, is uh, I read devotedly Barron's Magazine, okay, Mike? And uh, t- they have had, until recently, interviews with big advisors, okay, people who have clients and, you know, bring them in and, and tell them where to invest their money and, and invest their money. And, 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 and they have a fairly long explanation of what this advisor does. And in every single case, every single week, we saw that the advisor focus so much on the equity market. Here's where we're putting people's money. We're putting them here. We're putting them here. I think oil's going down. Gold is going up. You know, whatever it is they're talking about. And they hardly even mention the credit market. And yet, they show there that the credit market has typically a good 25% or sometimes more of the total portfolio invested in the credit market, and yet they don't even address it or talk about it in the article, as though the the, the advisor really doesn't talk to people about it. Uh, is that what you find? Absolutely. It's all about stocks. And one way to really pinpoint this, Charlie, is last year we read all about stocks hitting new highs, new highs, new highs through the balance of the year. And all the headlines are about the stock market hitting hitting new highs. What's interesting, and I think it would be rare for many of your listeners and many clients to know that one measure of the market, the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Index, the most popular diversified fixed income, it's the S&P of fixed income, actually reached more than 50 new highs last year. And you probably couldn't even find a headline Uh, about it. You couldn't. And and so I do think that that underscores the point around uh, the focus on equities and the lack of focus or the kind of push aside of the fixed income uh, component of investor portfolios. So, so let me ask you a, a sticky, tough question here, okay? Uh, I've read quite a bit lately about uh, the fact that these low interest rates have created what many people are calling zombie companies that can now qualify for loans that, well, for, for bonds, okay, and loans that ordinarily they couldn't qualify for because rates are so low and these companies are not profitable and that these are higher risk investments than the system shows. Uh, what would you say to that? So I do think that as interest rates have been quite low 
and investors continue to reach out or search for greater yields because retirees need income, fixed income allocations have gotten a little bit more risky, and they're starting to reach down into what we think of as below investment grade or junk bonds or bank loans, where credit quality is deteriorating, where uh, the covenants that manage some of these things have become what we think of as lighter, less strenuous. It is a concern. So what we've been recommending to investors in the fixed income side of things is not to take the bait, not to try to scratch out those last few basis points of yield, those last few right. basis point, you know, small percentage points <laughs> of total return, but move up in quality to investment grade corporate bonds of high quality with predictable cash flows. So yes, the yields are likely to be lower, but the, the margin of safety is going to be higher. So we're saying don't get too risky within the fixed income uh, market and stay in high quality investment grade uh, securities. Okay. So let's get to, uh, and we appreciate that that response, and, and I would completely agree with that, especially to, to reach down. You're talking about five or ten basis points here. You're not talking about <laughs> any significant amount. So let, let's focus on what I uh, really like, and again, going back to the equities market, is your sector rotation strategy. Now, this strategy, I believe, is uh, less than a year old, XLSR. Tell us about that strategy. XLSR is an exchange-traded fund offered by State Street Global Advisors and Spider ETFs, and it's a U.S. sector rotation ETF. It's a bit of a mouthful, but there are 11 economic sectors in the U.S., things like financials, healthcare, industrials, technology, utilities, materials, the energy sector, etc. And essentially, we're using an active management technique to identify which of those 11 economic sectors we find attractive and the ones that we don't. And we're simply purchasing at a high weight those sectors we find attractive based on our investment evaluation, our assessment, and we're buying them in the portfolio. Uh, And we think that if you look at the returns for getting things like large and small or growth and value correct, the returns over time have diminished. They've, they've become a lot closer together. They're still there, but they're not as big as they once were. Right. Yet in sectors, getting the right couple sectors right compared to avoiding the wrong few sectors, the reward is still really high there. So that's what we're attempting to do right now. Not surprisingly, given my comments earlier, we like healthcare, but we also like technologies and technology and financials too. You know uh, what? I, what I really like. One of the things I really like about your website is it shows how how each of the eleven sectors have performed over the last. And you can put in one day, one week, one month, three months, six months, you know, two years, etc. And there is, like you say, a significant difference. And people think of the S&P 500 as this monolithically moving group here, but they're not. These sectors uh, have very different returns. Absolutely. And that's at the heart of this particular investment approach and strategy. There's a real belief that through an information advantage, uh, through uh, 
an inefficiency in the market, being able to identify those sectors that are going to outperform is going to provide investors with better returns than simply just owning the benchmark. So um, who identifies these things how? The five you want to be invested in. Sure. So we have at State Street Global Advisors, we have our investment solutions group team. Uh, This team has been around since 1982, managing what we think of as strategic asset allocation portfolios, tactical asset allocation portfolios, where they'll make some more changes uh, to those allocations. Uh, There's more than 75 people in this group all over the world with an average of more than 15 years of investment experience. Uh, located uh, in eight different investment centers. And our clients are, you know, folks like financial advisors, but also central banks, pension funds, endowments, sovereign wealth funds, and other large institutions. And so this group has a, a model, an investment approach, where we quantitatively look at things like earnings sentiment, how are the earnings changing, momentum, kind of a a technical indicator as to how these things have been performing in recent time periods, which would suggest that if they've been doing pretty well, there's some momentum that they're likely to continue to do well, at least in the short period. We balance that by looking at value, things like uh, earnings yield, which is just simply the inverse of the price-earnings ratio as a way to look at value or the price to free cash flow, kind of looking at measures of, of value and quality, looking at the underlying balance sheets, the net operating assets, the return on equity, the return on assets, the return on invested capital. We combine that into a, a formula, for lack of a better term, to, to suggest which of these sectors, based on these attributes, are likely to, to be outperform the market or be attractive. Uh, now, we do blend that with some qualitative oversight. So we have real experienced portfolio managers that have been doing this a long time. So they're able to kind of tinker around the edges or the peripheral to understand what the model output is and and then how to adjust it from there in terms of overweighting the sectors. Okay. And uh, what are the major objections you're running into? Because again, this is less than a year old. I'm sure you're out there listening all the time. And then how do you counter that? Well, I think there's a high degree of skepticism around active management these days. There is. It's interesting, right, Charlie, when you and I started in the business and and you've been doing this uh, a little bit longer than I, um, it was all about active management. Um, When John Bogle launched the first index fund for institutional investors in the mid-70s, it was called Bogle's Folly. And they made fun of him because people couldn't believe that you would simply buy an index fund uh, when you could simply hire a great manager to beat the market for you. And boy, have we come full circle here right. in 2020. <laughs> and so I think there remains a high degree of skepticism around Active's ability to add value. Now, the good news is, as I mentioned, the strategy has been around for a long time, offered to institutional clients. This team's been around for a long time and has demonstrated that persistent ability ability over a full market cycle to uh, to beat the market, identifying uh, attractive and unattractive sectors. Okay, we, we appreciate that response. So here's a question we'd like to ask all of our guests here, Mike. What's the best advice you ever heard, read, or received about investing? 
for me, Charlie, I often get asked around, well, you know, chief investment strategist, if you're so smart, how do you invest your money, right? Difficult question to answer. Everybody has a little different risk tolerance. Everyone has a little different um, goals and objectives and social values and, and different types of things. But what I often uh, reply to that question is that the underlying allocation of the of the investments kind of weaving in should I buy this sector this stock this bond often kind of masks the real strength of investing which is the benefits of diversification having a long-term investment horizon having a disciplined repeatable process and most importantly Charlie I think is saving so that's the key, in my opinion, is that it's recommended that folks save about 20% of their income and put it towards retirement and let the power of compounding work for you. So that would be the lesson that I think is most valuable for folks. Now, I admit, and hey, I'm right there with everybody, putting away 20% of my income when I have discretionary spending and non-discretionary spending is tough. But the key to long-term retirement success is doing that and allowing the power of compounding and the be benefits of diversification and a long-term horizon to work for you. That's the best advice I could give or I have gotten. Okay, thank you. A second question. What keeps you awake at night? Well, Charlie, what's been interesting about this 11-year bull market is that it has it owes a lot to monetary policy. It does. You know, it the does. Federal Reserve keeping rates low, the cost of capital low uh, for investors uh, and, and businesses. And it has led to a significant appreciation in financial assets. Right. Now, what's interesting is that transmission mechanism from financial asset price appreciation to the real economy seems broken, right? It hasn't necessarily led to sustained economic growth or a sustained return of ordinary inflation. That's why we keep having these low rates. So something seems to be amiss. Now, the thing that concerns me or that is interesting is in September of 2018, when the Fed raised rates for the third time that year, the eighth time since 2015, we finally had what we think of as a real interest rate, meaning the, the Fed's target rate was about a quarter percent, 25 basis points, greater than their preferred measure of inflation. And what happened, Charlie? The economy grinded to a halt. Yeah. You had the markets fall out of bed. You had credit spreads widen. And the economy and markets couldn't tolerate even a small real interest rate. So what keeps me up at night is if the Fed or other central banks around the world are ever going to normalize interest rates, which I think we all believe they need to or should at some point, yeah. can the economy withstand it? Can, can, they have, can they engineer one of those famous soft landings, or will it require us to have a recession first? So, you know, as the Fed thinks about exiting all this very accommodative monetary policy, how is it going to impact markets and the economy? I, I, I worry about that. Hey, that was a great answer. Thank you very much, Mike. Really appreciate it. And the, the third and last question we like to ask everybody, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? One of my favorite books, Charlie, of all time is a book called More Than You Know, Finding Financial Wisdom in un Unconventional Places by a gentleman by the name of Michael Mobison. 
and uh, and and uh, he had a long career as a practitioner uh, in the industry. He's written several books. This is one of my favorite. It's a perfect blending of kind of psychology, behavioral investing, with practical uh, investing techniques. And the use of a kind of a multidisciplinary framework to solve problems. And uh, he does it in a way that's relatable and in kind of uh, normal terms, right? Not a lot of investment jargon. It's not, it's not a textbook for people like you and me. You know, the everyday investor can read it and get something out of it. It's a great book. Oh, good. Thank you very much. That's the first time that that uh, book has been recommended. So we, we really appreciate that. So for those who would like to know more, where can they go here, Mike? So I would say two places. Our website is www.spiders.com. That's S-P-D-R-S.com, where you can get all kinds of information on spider exchange-traded funds, uh, my commentary, access to our blog, all kinds of great stuff. You even mentioned the sector returns and all that good stuff. So I would recommend that. And then for me personally, for uh, investor, uh, for listeners who, who might uh, want to learn more about some of the things I do, uh, via LinkedIn, I have a subscription series called The Unconventional Investment Strategist. I put out two pieces each month. There's no subscription cost. It's free to everyone. You just got to, you know, you sign up and you'll get a notification uh, when I publish those two things. Currently, I have uh, about uh, 14,000 subscribers. And so for those on the line who are interested, I'd love to have you join the crew. Okay, thank you very much for that. That that is great, uh, great advice, and uh, we'll we'll go on to that and uh, sign up here. So final words for our listeners here, Mike. I would just emphasize, I think, your question about kind of the best advice that I've received. I guess for me, my parting thoughts would just to to kind of reemphasize, we get inundated today with TV and Internet and and uh, all kinds of information that's at, at the touch of a finger we can get. Uh, I often, oftentimes I'll be watching the Boston Red Sox game with my dad, and he'll say, oh, who won the World Series, you know, 1988? And I'll get on my phone, and I'll go look it up, and he'll joke with me, and he'll say, geez, I love sitting here with you. Any question I have, you get, all, you get me all the answers. So we have all this information, but I don't want investors to lose sight that the key to investment sac- success is a long-term investment horizon, a disciplined process. The key is saving as much as you can and letting the power of compounding work for your portfolio, a diversified portfolio. My great advice. Thank you very much, and thank you for joining us here today, and our best wishes for uh, yours and SSGA's continued success and growth, and we appreciate you being with us. Charlie, thank you. I had a lot of fun. I look forward to doing it again. Uh, So we've been listening to Michael Aroni, CFA of State Street Global Advisors, SSGA, one of the largest ETF providers in the country. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We would love to hear from you. Contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com or visit our website to listen to all of our podcasts, interviews, and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. 
content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing. Thank you.